Since the dawn of time, we've shared stories. They remind us of who we were, who we are, and who we wish to be. Through story, our ancestors speak to us, passing on wisdom and truth from the past. And stories prepare us for the future, if only we listen. Hello, and welcome to episode number seven of Listen. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and so on. In the spirit of the season, I thought it might be fun to pull out a few of these great little stories that I had recorded at the 2015 Three River Storytelling Festival. We have three stories today. First, we're going to start out with Sagebrush Santa by Alton Chung, a fantastic storyteller from Hawaii. We also have Great Aunt Catherine's Turkeys, a story by Lynn Ford, who's appeared on this show a couple of times. And finally, Father Joe's Christmas by Stas Zulkowski. Stas is a local storyteller here in the Pittsburgh area, so you're going to get a little Pittsburgh flavor. Part of the original mission for Listen was to help preserve stories and storytelling and to kind of introduce everybody who listens to storytellers that they may not otherwise hear. So if you're listening in England or New York or California, you may not have heard of Stas. You may not have heard of Alton Chung. You may not have heard of Lynn Ford. So hopefully this will be an introduction to some storytelling that you'll really enjoy. For me, the holidays are about getting together with family and friends. They're about traditions and they're definitely about stories. Do check the website out. It is listen.stry radio.com over there you'll find more information on the storytellers and more stories so again merry christmas happy hanukkah and so on hope everybody has a great holiday season filled with family friends and of course stories without further ado three tales for christmas Chung. I began a story on NPR earlier this week, and I feel an obligation to kind of finish the story. The morning rains turn the roads and the paths into muddy swamps. And by evening, that muddy ground was covered by a blanket of snow that softened the outlines of the, of the buildings and the towers. The moonlight glistened off that snow. To five-year-old Kiyoshi, it looked as if it was the perfect Christmas picture. The high desert plains of southern Idaho in the winter of 1942, he sat in the mess hall of Block 7, watching the snow come down. 
He was so like, squirming with anticipation. Now, his older brother and his sister, they were out with their friends. And his Okasan, his mother, oh, she was resting after spending all day doing laundry. But it was Christmas Eve and Santa Claus was coming. Oh, he was so excited. You see, about a year ago, there was this attack on a place called Pearl Harbor. And then men in suits in this big car came and took his father's Otosan away. That made Kyoshi and his whole family really sad. And that's when this cold, empty space opened up in Kyoshi's stomach. He, he missed the way his father's his Otosan would rustle his hair, just tossle his hair and call him Kyoshi-chan or little Kyoshi. Then came these things called curfew, which made everyone kind of scurry around as the sun was going down. And then there's these things called blackouts, where everything just went dark. The thing that got his mother the most upset was this thing called evacuation. When that happened, Kyoshi's mom, his brother, and his sister, they all got suitcases, and they all packed things, and they had to leave their house. And they had to go and move into a horse stall at the big... Ex, uh, stockyard Exposition Center in the big city of Portland, Oregon. It was, it was hot, it was smelly, and it was absolutely just terrible in this horse stall. He couldn't understand, she couldn't understand why they just couldn't go home. And then came the day that they were all given tags, tags with the same number. And they all had to go and board these trains, these trains with these so big soldiers with guns, and they had to keep the, keep the, the blinds drawn down as they made the journey over the mountain. And when they arrived, they, they got off the train and boarded buses that took them to their new home of wood and tar paper barracks and dust. It was the first time Kyoshi had ever been out of the state of Oregon. It was the first time he'd ever been on a train. It was also the first time he'd ever seen barbed wire. When they first arrived at Minidoka, there was no heat in the barracks and there's only cold water showers. At least now, he didn't have any icicles in his hair as he made his way from the showers to their barracks. The dust and sand came through the cracks around the windows and around the doors. I mean, the outside toilets were freezing cold and at night sometimes you could hear the baby crying from a couple units over. About a week ago, Kiyoshi began wondering about, worrying about Christmas. I mean, he went up to his mother and said, Do you think that, 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 that Santa Claus can get a pass to get into the camp? Do you think that, that he'll fit through, the, through our stovepipe in, in, and then get into our, our unit? Do you think that the guards will shoot the reindeer if they get too close to the fence? Kyoshi's mother said she didn't really know, but she was sure that the guards weren't going to do anything against to hurt Santa Claus. And then, then Tommy, who was seven, and Kyoshi's best friend, who, and he was like, he knew everything? He said, no, 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 Santa Claus and the, and the reindeer, they're magical. They can do anything. And Kyoshi watched those snowflakes drift past the window, and he got excited all over again. He looked into the, into the mess hall, and he could see the, you know, the wait staff and the, and the cooks. They were all dressed in their finest. They just served this big turkey dinner. And on one of the walls of the, of the mess hall, someone had painted a nativity scene, and there were even Christmas wreaths made of wood shavings. They brought a, a, a sage brush uh, in, and, and they decorated like a Christmas tree with, with, with 
cotton ball snow and, and tinfoil. They, were, they, they cut out stars from tin cans and put them up on the wall. There were crepe paper streamers and, and, and Christmas candles playing softly on the radio. Oh, I mean, see, in, in camp, you didn't celebrate Christmas just with your family, but you celebrated with everybody in the block. And then the mess hall door slammed open and someone began shouting. He reminded Kiyoshi of those men in the suits who come to take his father away. He put his hands over his ears. He climbed under a table and shut his eyes. He didn't see that the man standing in the doorway was dressed in a, in a red suit, had a long red hat and a, and a white beard. He didn't hear the man shout out, Merry Christmas! What he heard was his mother crying. What he saw were the men in the suits taking his father away in his pajamas. Suddenly someone touched Kiyoshi's arm. And he opened his eyes. It was his friend Tommy. And, and Tommy said, there you are, Kiyoshi. Santa's here. And he brought presents. Kiyoshi climbed up from under the table and he saw all the other children were all clustered around this man in the red suit the long red hat and white beard and, and, and he had a sack and he was pulling out presents and giving them to the children. And this man in this rumpled red suit with this cotton ball beard kind of motioned to Kiyoshi to come, come. Ah, there you are, Kiyoshi. Ah, I have a present for you. A, a present? For me? Ah, yes. Uh, uh, Reverend Townsend and uh, Sugeko Uno. Uh, they wrote letters to all the churches across the country, letting everybody know uh, what the situation here in camp. And, and they, sent do they sent toys and, and donations, and, and, and I've got toys here for all the children here in Minidoka. And I, I picked this one out especially for you. And he gave Kiyoshi this oddly wrapped present, brilliant red paper and green ribbon. And he said, oh, I know it's hard for you when your father gone, huh? Do you know this Japanese word, Kyoshi? It's called gaman. Uh, it means to carry on, to bear with. Uh, it means to carry on without complaint. Uh, we, we must adjust to the new situation. Uh, we must prove to everyone that we are Americans first, ne? Wakarimasuka. Do you understand? Hi. Wakarimasu. Yes, I understand. Ah. Uh, very good. I must now go to uh, distribute gifts to all the other mess halls. Now, now, now. Uh, Merry Christmas, Kyoshi, and uh, Gaman. And he was gone. And Kyoshi looked down at that present. He wasn't forgotten. Santa remembered. Santa still cared. And he began to unwrap that present. And it turned out to be a small wooden toy truck. And Kiyoshi looked at it and felt his chest tightened. That small cold spot in his stomach just swelled up and threatened to swallow him down. The truck reminded him of the old truck his father used to drive, taking the produce from their farm into the markets in Portland. Come on. How could he carry on? It's just a little boy. 
He wanted to go home. He wanted to toss. He wanted to cross out. He wanted his father. Tears was rolled up in his eyes as began falling down his cheeks. He didn't hear the mess hall door open. He didn't hear the footsteps coming up behind him. That is uh, a beautiful truck you have there, Kyoshi-chan. Kyoshi turned around and looked at this old man with glasses and gray hair, thin. He didn't recognize him until the man reached out and tousled his hair. Oto-san! And he was finding in his arms, father's arms, he was smelling his smell, holding his hand. Oh, father, how, why? Oh, they let me go. They let me come here to Minadoka to be with all of you. Now, come outside. The, the, the Kam Kwai is singing outside. Let's go outside. And hand in hand, they walked out of the mess hall into the snow and into the crowd. Kyoshi couldn't see, so his father picked him up and put him on his shoulders. And Kyoshi sat there with one hand on his father's hat and one hand holding his toy truck. Oh, that, that small cold spot in his chest just melted away. Just melted away and, and, and was replaced with this warmth that made his whole body just tingle. And they stood there and th these three trucks were brought up and shaped in a U and the whole camp choir was standing on them. And Mehara was leading them with a baton with a light on the, on the end of it. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. To Kyoshi, sitting on his father's shoulders, he could knew that he could bear any burden, carry any weight without complaint. Come on. To him, this was the best Christmas ever. Thank you. That was a piece called Sage Persana. Lynn Ford. So I thought I'd share um, a touch of Afrolatchian storytelling. First, an award-winning story from my grandfather, my Pop Pops. I'll explain the award after I tell the story. Great Aunt Catherine was sitting on the front porch, rocking in her rocking chair at that time of year when you start getting ready for the holidays. She was knitting or crocheting, and as she did that, she thought about the gifts that she would make for folks, and she thought about those turkeys that she raised at that time of year to make more money for the family. As she sat there rocking, knitting or crocheting, and keeping an eye on all those turkeys running around her yard, a line of cars came down the road. That parade of cars stopped in front of her house, and the car doors opened. 
And there was the whole family getting out of those cars and walking toward her. Well, Great Aunt Catherine put down whatever she was doing, got out of her rocking chair, walked to the edge of the porch and looked at all those people and she said, what y'all doing here? Did something happen? Did somebody die? Was it me? <laughs> Folks said, no, Aunt Cat. We knew you'd be alone since Uncle Stafford is gone, and we wanted to surprise you this weekend. Well, she got upset. Because Aunt Catherine was one of those women who likes to cook for folks. And she didn't have enough in her kitchen to feed everybody that was getting out of those cars. Well, some folks said, well, don't worry, Aunt Cat. We'll take you down to that new supermarket in town. Some of us will stay here and keep an eye on the children and mind your turkeys. And some of us will take you down to that store and get you whatever you want. And she was still upset. Because if folks were going to stay at her house, she wanted to feed them something she headed toward the cellar stairs, walked down those steps by herself to get something for those folks minding the children and the turkeys to snack on. The only thing that she had in great abundance, cherries soaking in brandy for her holiday bacon. Well, she brought up a couple jars of those brandy cherries and set them on the dining room table and went on outside and got in the car and headed for the new supermarket. And the folks inside opened up the window so they could keep an eye on the turkeys and the children. And they opened up those jars, scooped out two or three cherries, popped them in their mouths. Oh, they were so good. But then they realized there was no place for them to spit out those cherry pits. No wastebasket in the dining room. Couldn't find it in the kitchen. So they just spit the pits out the window. Scooped out a couple more cherries, popped them in their mouths. Delicious. Spit the pits out the window. And after a while, those folks in the dining room weren't watching the children or the turkeys. <laughs> and about that time, they heard a car pull up. They heard the car door slam. They heard great Aunt Catherine's voice say, oh, no. So they ran outside as quickly as they could, and the children were fine. But all great Aunt Catherine's turkeys were lying on the ground, dead, feet sticking straight up in the air. Great Aunt Catherine said, oh no, what have you done? My turkeys are all dead, and I'm not going to be able to get them ready for the butcher. I'm not going to make enough money for the holidays. Some folks said, don't worry, Aunt Cat, we'll help you get these birds ready. Why, we might be able to take them to that new supermarket. There's a new restaurant in town, too. We'll definitely get them to the butchers, but don't worry, we'll help you get these birds ready. And those folks started pulling off the feathers from all those dead birds. And when they proceeded to pull out the last feather from the last bird, that first turkey rose up from the ground. <laughs> started waddling around, <laughs> said, <laughs> gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> and then another turkey rose up from the ground, started waddling and wobbling around, said, <laughs> <laughs> gobble, gobble, gobble. 
and all those birds started rising up and waddling around because they weren't dead. They were dead drunk from eating the pits from those brandy cherries. Well, Great Aunt Catherine said, oh no, what am I gonna do? I got a bunch of naked birds running around the yard. It's gonna get cold tonight. They're gonna freeze to death and I'm not gonna make enough money for the holidays. Well, some folks said, don't worry, Aunt Cat. We'll help you out. And all those that could went and got her knitting needles and crochet hooks. <laughs> they started knitting little hats, crocheting little sweaters and jackets for all those turkeys. And then they put those jackets and those hats on all those naked birds. And that's how turkey dressing was invented. <laughs> the award was from the National Association of Black Storytellers. I won the liars contest with that story from my pop pops. And the, the trophy that I got was absolutely appropriate. It was huge and made of real gold plastic. Stas Zolkowski. Christmas Eve, 1947. I was six years old. Raised in a Catholic family, Christmas Eve, everybody goes to midnight mass. But little Stash, I had a fever. And mom decided I needed to stay home. And she made my brother Tony, who's almost four years older, stay with me. He just went up to bed. At 11.30, when the family left, I went back into the front room where our Christmas tree was. And I sat down on the floor with my back against the couch, and I looked at all the lights. I thought, they're going to be at Mass. Maybe I'll see Santa. The tree was decorated beautifully, and since I didn't feel well, my mom said she would leave the lights on while they were out of the house. That was special. And so I was sitting there looking at the tree and admiring all the lights and especially the Christmas balls. In 1947, they didn't have plastic balls. They were made out of glass. And my mother had a gorgeous collection from the time she was a little girl. And that tree sparkled because of the lights and those glass balls. Some were decorated with colors and pictures and things. Well, just then, I heard a key in the front door lock. And I scooched over towards the end of the couch, and the door opened, and in walked Father Joe, my mother's younger brother, a Catholic priest. And he stepped into that front room and said, Stash, you should be in church. What are you doing home? So I'm sorry, Father, but Mom said I should stay here. I didn't feel good, and 
so I'm not at mass. And, and I miss it because I like to see all the singing and the angels and stuff. And he said, well, here, maybe this will make you feel better. He had a bag in his hand, a big bag, shopping bag full of presents. And he set it down, he pulled out a box, a long rectangular box, and he handed it to me. It was decorated in nice paper. And he said, go ahead. I tore the paper off. Mom wouldn't like that, but it was Father Joe. Father Joe was the most important person in our family, and he couldn't do any wrong. I opened that thing up, and it was a box with a picture of a rifle on it. And I opened it, and inside was this magic thing, a black barrel, a piece of black metal tube, and a wooden handle. And I just stared at it, and he said, here, let me show you. He took it, put it against his knee, and pushed it, and bent it back up, and it kind of cranked and made a sound. And then he reached into the box, and he got a cork, and he put it in the end. And he looked around, he said, I'll show you how it works. And he knelt down and pointed at the tree. Pop! One of those balls exploded. I didn't say anything. I didn't know what. All I could think of was, Mom's going to kill somebody. Uh, he, he took that pop gun, put it over his knee, and bent it again, and cranked it, got a cork out, put it in the end, and he said, here, you try it. <laughs> oh, it's Uncle Joe. Father Joe. Father Joe said I could do this. <laughs> pop! <laughs> Whoa. Over the next couple of minutes, we used the rest of the corks. <laughs> Ten of them all together. We never missed. <laughs> the, the nativity scene, which we call a Schwabeck, was filled with glass. And glass on the little train tracks. It was a fake train track. But Father Joe looked at his watch and said, Oh, it's almost five minutes of 12. Uh, I have to go to Mass. <laughs> He got up, and, you know, the church was only two blocks away. So when he wasn't serving Mass, he was just going to attend because he was from a different parish. Well, my brother Tony must have heard us laughing or something. He came downstairs, and he walked in. He said, he looked. Stush, what did you do? I said, it's okay. Father Joe showed me, and it's okay. And he said, Mom's going to kill you. And then he went back up to bed. That started to bother me. I started to think, no, no, Father Joe really was here. I didn't do it by myself. So, okay, so I waited. 12, 30, 1 o'clock, 1.15, the family came in, everybody. And Father Joe was with them. My mother took one look at the tree, said, Diaboic, which means little devil. What have you done? And I couldn't think of anything to say. And I kept looking at Father Joe, thinking he was going to say, well, Agnes, 
I showed the boy how to do it or something. But he didn't say a word. And my mother said, go to bed. We'll take care of this tomorrow. And I went upstairs. My brother was laughing at me. And for a long time, I really was upset about Father Joe. I, he was a priest. Why would he let me get all the trouble when he could have fixed it? They wouldn't have yelled at him. Nobody yells at a priest. But then when I got a little older, I realized the truth. Father Joe, my mother's little brother, was more afraid of her than I was. <laughs> Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.